0: Hello and welcome to the second tier podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Valerie and Ishmael at West Brom to my Valerie and Ishmael at Barnsley. It's Justin Peach.
1: Good day to you Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good. Um, a bit tired. Got back at midnight last night after an away game at Huddersfield. got to say Huddersfield is one of my favourite away grounds to visit. It's so, so nice. Loads of shops around as well. So I don't have to rely on a burger van. I can't rely on a burger van. I'm vegan i have going to go to the supermarket. Hang on, hang on, what's wrong
0: with a burger van?
1: Well, they don't really suit vegetarians, let alone plant-based eaters like myself. Sounds like a you problem, mate. Exactly. So I, there's a Sainsbury's, there's a Marks and Spencer's. This isn't an ad, by the way. Um, it's just great. See, They're you everywhere. You just some it's-
0: tofu instead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, a tofu sandwich. I've never had a tofu sandwich before. That might be one. One thing to go for. Anyway, That's for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, really good. Thanks. Completely forgot what we were talking about. Yeah. Do they, surely they do veggie burgers, don't they? I've never seen a veggie burger on a menu
0: at a burger van. And I don't think I'd ever want one. Come on, guys, get to the 21st century. Yeah, if if it's a veggie burger from a burger van, you're questioning what's actually in that (laughs) burger, aren't you? (laughs) Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to do things a bit differently on the show this week. Usually, we'd obviously start by talking about the matches, but I feel like because we've just had transfer deadline day and obviously the second of Aaron Ishmael, we're going to start with the news this week, ladies and gentlemen. Then we'll go on to the midweek matches later on in the show. Also because the midweek matches weren't exactly the most exciting, it's got to be said. Um, so we'll talk about them in the second part of the show. In the first part of the show, we'll talk about the sacking of Valerin Ishmael and his potential replacement. a, a, a Mr. Cabbage, perhaps. <laughs> um, and then... <laughs> Then we'll talk about all the deadline day deals and then a couple of other bits in the news as well. And then we'll finish off the whole show by doing the Craig Bryson pub quiz right at the end. Before we get into things though, may I tell you listener about our friends at Fans Bet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of this episode. They've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier. You can get a welcome offer of bet ten Pounds. Get £30 pounds plus 10 free spins, UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site 18+. plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit BeGambleAware.org for more info. And do also check out Fans Bet responsible gambling tools. So it's now time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Valerian Ishmael has been sacked as head coach of West Brom. It's after a run that's seen them win just one of their last seven league games. Uh, Justin, it almost felt like it had to happen at this point, didn't it?
1: It was inevitable, wasn't it? Um, Performances have got to a point where they were really, really poor. Um, Form was poor, results were poor. Yeah, individuals stopped playing. There was rumours of dressing room discontent as well and players falling out of Ishmael. Yeah, it was. It, it, it had to happen sooner, sooner or later. Because West Brom, in my opinion, under Ishmael, no chance of finishing in the playoffs. And the form backs that up. Um, one thing they were really good at, even you know, when, when when results weren't going in the way, was was creating chances, just not putting them away. But even that's even that that's dried up. And defensively, they've they've started to um, become a bit suspect as well. So it was just a recipe for. Uh, yeah, a prime sacking really it, was, it had to happen unfortunately and, uh, I do still rate Ishmael as a manager just don't think West Brom was quite the right fit or maybe the wrong time for him and, and West Brom
0: Yeah I, I completely agree, you can count on one handy number of really good performances West Brom have had this season can't you when he was first appointed I thought it was a really good appointment he did a wonderful job at Barnsley last season and I thought if he altered the style of play to suits um, a side challenging for promotion then they probably would go up but He didn't alter it enough for me. And they were playing a style of play which just doesn't suit the really talented players they've got. Personally, I think Ishmael would have been a great manager to have if West Brom were in the Premier League. Because his style makes them hard to beat and is perfect for grinding out points. It's not how you want to play though when you need to be dominating games at the top half of the Mm. Championship. So, to be fair to them, there have been plenty of occasions when his side have been creating chances but just haven't been put away so he's been unlucky in that respect but at the same time I always say this when you're a manager don't I who doesn't have a attractive philosophy you play that way to get results don't you and when you're not getting results you haven't really got a leg to stand on so I'm not surprised they've had to change it and I think doing it now as well still gives them a good chance of getting back into the promotion race what do you think Justin?
1: Yeah you're absolutely spot on it depends who they get obviously um, but if they, they make the right appointment, they've got the squad capable of finishing in the top two, let alone the playoffs. They are a very talented squad. It's just whether or not they can make up that ground to the likes of Blackburn, QPR, and, and Bournemouth and develop that consistency needed to to get into that. Which is why they probably need an experienced manager. Um, so yeah, they they do need to, to get this get this appointment right, whoever it may be, because. They've they've made some bad choices over the years, the, the West Brom hierarchy, in terms of appointments. They've only got a handful right, probably just Billich, um and Darren Moore in that Premier League season um, when he nearly kept them up. There's probably two appointments out of however many, six. Um, I think one thing that needs to be said as well, the players can't escape criticism either because, as I say, defensively, West Brom are very, very good and they did miss a lot of chances so you do also have to point the finger at the players who were missing those chances um because it may have been a different story had <laughs> those chances been converted it's as simple as that it's, you know players cannot escape, escape criticism here and Ishmael might still be in a job if they were performing better yeah definitely I just want you to
0: cast your mind back for a sec, Justin, to the summer before Ishmael got appointed and West Brom were about to get Chris Wilder. But they decided Mm. against it because the chairman didn't like how Wilder's relationship with the board at Sheffield United deteriorated. What a terrible decision that turned out to be in hindsight. Um, The question is now, Justin, who do they get in? I know you always say I don't think there are too, too many good managers out there. On this occasion, I probably would agree with you for once, but it looks like the man they're going to be getting in is Steve Bruce. In fact, by the time many of our listeners actually get to around to listening to this, it may be the case that Steve Bruce has been appointed. Um, numerous reports are saying that he is the man they're going to get. hes It's a bit, I'm not really too sure how long he's been offered. I've seen some reports saying it's till the end of the season. I've seen other reports saying it's 18 months, but Steve Bruce, West Brom, what do you think, Justin? I think it's okay.
1: He's starting to. Steve Bruce is probably starting to fall in that category that Neil Warnock, Mick McCarthy, may fall in, where he's an experienced head that needs to come in and and help a, help a team out. Um, but nonetheless, I do think at Championship level, he is a good manager. I do think that style of play doesn't differ too too much from Ishmael. It's not quite as direct as Ishmael's, but it's still quite organised, quite rigid. Likes his teams to be solid at the back. Um, so it's not too dissimilar, but at the same time, he knows how to win games of football at championship level. So from that reason, that and that reason alone is probably a good appointment. It didn't work out for him at Villa. And you've got to argue as well that the team he had at Villa shouldn't have been finishing in the, the playoffs. It should have been finishing in the top two. So there's criticism there. And obviously he got sacked the season after that happened. So whether or not he's going to come in and, and, and hit the ground running remains to be seen. But as far as appointments go, it's go, it's, it's a steady one.
0: Yeah, I think, by and large, he didn't do a bad job at Newcastle, did he? Despite constantly yeah. having Geordie screaming at him in the street. <laughs> um, he, he's won promotion multiple times, though, he? and he might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I can see him working there, because I don't think he's a bad manager by any means. So, yeah, I, I think it works. Plus, as I was just alluding to a second ago, there aren't that many good managers out there, really. I mean, earlier mm-hmm. in the season, they had the likes of... Steve Cooper and Chris Wilder are available. But now you look at it and the only other managers I, c- I can really look at and think, oh, I think there'd probably be good appointments would be Slavisa Kanovic. Obviously, didn't have a great time at Sheffield United, but I think mm. he would have been a decent appointment at West Brom. I think Alex Neil would have been in a, de- a decent appointment, but I don't think he had been the most popular one yeah. if uh, they did go with him with West Brom fans. So I think Steve Bruce is the only man who ticks the most boxes, really. So I think... Really, that's probably the best appointment for West Brom and the one that's going to appease most fans at the same time. Alternatively, they might just end up with John Terry. I'm going. So when <laughs> someone eventually pulls the trigger on that, I will doth my cap to whichever chairman gives that a go. Um, meanwhile, after Ishmael's sacking, it's coincided with the appointment of Ron Goulet as West Brom's new CEO. He's held similar positions with Chelsea and Reading in the past, but he's not someone you're a particularly big fan of, is he, Justin?
1: No, I think you've only got to see what running fans are saying about him to get an idea of how ineffective he was uh, at running a, a big football club. Um, so he hands out big contracts to average players. You look at Liam Moore, um, Puskas as well, maybe. Um, I wouldn't say bankrupts clubs but he, he puts clubs in, in, in difficult positions spending wise um, appointed one of the worst managers uh, ever at Reading probably one of the ones with the worst win percentages anyway and isolates key people at the club. Now I know that West Brom are making several appointments at a high level at the club so it seems that they are starting to get a more of a football structure but at the same time it's just one to be wary of. I know we don't normally talk about um, upstairs appointments on the, on the podcast but when they come with a reputation like this, it's one that you have to have question marks over. Interesting.
0: Let's go on to transfer news then. We'll start off with the headline makers from Deadline Day, Justin. That was Bournemouth. Five signings they've made. Newcastle goalkeeper Freddie Woodman, Liverpool's Nat Phillips, Todd Campbell from Norwich, Peter forward Syriki Dembele and Kiefer Moore from Cardiff. The first three are on load. The latter two are both on a permanent. Uh, based on these moves, Justin, how much have Bournemouth seen their recent form and shit the bed?
1: <laughs> yeah it sounds it seems it doesn't it one thing i need to say on this as well they signed four players that i always sign on my championship saves so, so now i'm not gonna be able to sign them which has infuriated me um All right. really disappointing uh what's something i need to be pointed out um another reason to be angry at them but yeah they, they have really really strengthened um and that's probably underselling it it's it's a case of yeah they have seen the championship form and probably the squad depth going into the second half of the season and thought we need the extra quality and then some um, the the deals really did raise eyebrows and to get them all done on deadline day what have you been doing for the month um, it's it's quite 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 bizarre but I mean you know fair play to Bournemouth it, it, it raises a lot of questions in terms of um, the, the the financial aspects of, of each deal but that's that's for another day um, yeah it's <laughs> Might be for today. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's they're good deals in isolation, but at the same time, you look at them and you think only a team with parachute payments could pull them off.
0: Yeah, and that's the sad thing about it, isn't it? Really, I mean, Nat Phillips alone—they're reportedly paying one and a half million just for his loan fee to have him for six months, and they're also paying all of his wages. I don't even think about what his wages are um and then the others as well i i don't have the actual figures in front of me but it i was trying to do a, a few sums earlier in the week and it looks to me like bournemouth have spent more on deadline day alone than qpr and blackburn combined in the last two seasons Which says a lot about the financial power they've got. It has got to be said, it's unclear what the financial details are with the Freddie Woodman and Todd Cantwell loans. But either way, I'm going to guess they haven't come cheaply. I think that's for sure. Um, But it says a lot about how pointless parachute payments are when a club is able to do this in its second season after relegation. Ultimately, the automatic promotion race could be decided on who has the most cash. And... I think that's a real shame. We thought at the start of the season that we could see the four teams with parachute payments end up being the top four. Fortunately, it's not ended up like that at the time of recording. Uh, But there's still a very, very good chance that all three teams who go up are parachute payment teams. That would make it seven out of nine teams from the past three seasons. How much more evidence do we need, Justin, that the system is broken, that a team can see that it's struggling and then decide, oh, we'll just flex our financial muscles and bring in half the championship?
1: Yeah, you're spot on. And just to reiterate, these aren't digs at Bournemouth or Fulham, because obviously we've got flack at the start of the season when we mentioned it with Fulham. Um, If you've got that financial power, you are going to flex it. As you say, you are going to use it. But it does further highlight the need to sort of redistribute the wealth amongst the leagues because it's not not becoming competitive. Our pre-season predictions are becoming very, very easy. You know it's the teams with the most money that are most likely to finish in the top, in the top places because they've got the, the 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 better squads. They can afford the better players. They can afford to buy the better players. Um, and at the same time, it does raise questions about financial uh, sustainability. You look at Cardiff, for example, who tried to flex their financial muscle when they uh, initially came down. Now look at them; they are scraping by towards the bottom end of the table. No more parachute payments. Relying on youngsters and loans to, to get them through, they've had to reset. That's where it can go. That's how it can. That's how wrong it can go. Um, and then you've got the teams who try and keep up with those parachute payments: the Reddings, the Derbys, the, the the Birmingham's who overspend, the Shepherd Wednesdays as well, who overspend to try and keep up with them. It is broken. We know it's broken. We don't need any more examples. Um, it, you know, authorities need to need to wake up essentially.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I think also Bournemouth showing that they are absolutely desperate to get promoted this season. And when I say that, I mean, because if it doesn't happen, they might not have another chance for a number of years because you've got a club which has a massive wage bill. Mm -hmm. They're in their second year of parachute payments and one has to wonder what state they'll be in financially if they miss out on promotion um, this time round as well. Uh, I've seen Bournemouth fans pointing out that they've sold a lot of players, uh, the season before last, the likes of Ake, Callum Wilson, and they did sell Dan Juma in the summer just gone. Last March, they announced pre-tax losses of 60 million quid. That wasn't including the Ake and Wilson transfers. But at the same time, they have got such a massive wage bill that it's going to be draining a massive hole in terms of money, into. it? I was going through the squad they've got the other day and... I'm counting at least twenty two players who they're spending ten grand a week, or I'm assuming are spending they're spending ten grand a week on in wages. And that's not even counting the likes of the likes of Solanke, for example, who I'm guessing must be on at least <laughs> fifty grand a week, mustn't he? So you've got a massive, massive wage budget here that I cannot see being sustainable unless they drastically scale it back, in the case that they don't get promoted past this season so a lot of concern for me if Bournemouth were to miss out on promotion but at the same time I think with the signings they've made I would put them down now as the team most likely to finish in the automatic promotion places apart from Fulham obviously Um, let's focus on the footballing side of things Justin I look at all the five signings with the exception, exception of Nat Phillips and think to myself do you really need them? Maybe a good case can be made for Todd Cantwell, but the others just seem to add more bodies to what is an already bloated squad.
1: Yes and no. I think they've really added the quality needed. I think Todd Cantwell is one of those players who can operate anywhere across sort of the the attacking third. Um, he's a player that you you need. Um, in in tight games as well. Den Denbele, yeah, you can argue quite similar to Jamal Lowe in how he plays, can play up front, and can play out wide. and Moore, he's one of the league's best strikers, so for him to be playing second fiddle to Solanke would be quite a shame, but at the same time, he's, he's, he's chosen the move, so um, I think it's a good plan B option for Bournemouth, that's what it feels like. Um, have I missed anybody? Freddie Woodman, Woodman. Mark Travers has been one of the best keepers in the league so it would be a shame to see him dropped for for Freddie Woodman so Mm. you're right, Um, it just feels like they've added a lot of depth to the squad a lot of expensive depth to say the least
0: Yeah, their squad is seriously bloated now I'm not sure how Scott Parker is going to keep everyone there happy (laughs) because there were some players like Jaden Anthony for example was in some spells really, really good earlier in the season Monty, but I'm guessing he'll make great for Todd Cantwell at this point. And then Mark Travers, it, it'll be a massive shame if he has to drop out for Freddie Woodman. But at the same time, I can't see Freddie Woodman signing unless he's been promised first team football. So it's all very strange, but they've definitely strengthened. I think that goes without saying that Phillips is just a ridiculous signing at championship mm-hmm. level. But... Um, As I said, their squad is massive now. Ridiculously big. Uh, I also enjoyed the Peterborough fans commenting about Syriki Dembele leaving when he was being linked with a move to Scotland in the summer. He reportedly wanted it to happen because it would mean he's closer to his family. He's now moved to Bournemouth, which is far away from Scotland as possible. So (laughs) (laughs) that did make me laugh. Um, Bournemouth's busy deadline day overshadowed an unbelievable bit of business at Fulham, didn't it? They brought in Liverpool's Nico Williams on loan. Number one, how the hell have they pulled this off? Number two, does it really change anything? It just means they're going to walk the
1: league even more now, doesn't it? Yeah, he's, he's a talented player and adds. I think um, right back was probably one of the areas maybe where um, Fulham didn't need to strengthen. Kenny Tete has been good this season. He had Dennis Adore, I know he's departed, um, and Cyrus Christie also gone on loan to, to to Swansea. But yeah, Nico Williams is quite the capture, and I think he adds. He had a different dimension to that Fulham attack. It's ridiculous saying it. He's a right back, but he had something else to the forward line, which is frightening. Um, I'm I'm absolutely terrified for anyone who's, who's got to play them in the second half of the season uh, or, or, or for the rest of the season because, yeah, that's, that's something else you've got to think about now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. Blackburn have signed Ryan Giles on loan. He was, of course, at Cardiff earlier in the season. An impressive signing in itself. But what's probably more impressive is the fact Blackburn have gone the whole January window and managed
1: to hold on to their star players. Yeah, that they've strengthened. Um, they've managed to keep hold of their, their key players. Joe Rothwell looked like, looked like he was going at one point to, to Bournemouth. Everybody looked like I was going to Bournemouth at one point. I think I was going to Bournemouth at one point as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, they they've done a really good job. And I think um you look at the likes of other teams in the league who have kept hold of key players, Millwall, for example, keeping hold of Jed Wallace. That, that's a good window as well. If you keep hold of your best players, that's also a good window. And Blackburn have managed to keep hold of the likes of Broughton Diaz, Rothwell, etc.
0: Yeah, I think Blackburn are the real winners of this transfer window, to be completely honest, simply because they managed to hold on to their star players. When I was talking in December about how sceptical I was about Blackburn, a lot of that was because mm-hmm. I didn't think they'd be able to hold on to their top talents, Ben and Diaz I thought for sure that he was going to be going losing someone who scored half of your goals in a season is <laughs> going to be a blow for any side isn't it but he's sticking around Joe Rothwell looked as if he was heading out the door to go to Bournemouth um, but that move didn't go ahead for whatever reason losing him would have been massive because he's been great this season Devil lenahan <laughs> had been linked with a move away but mm-hmm. no interest in him turned out to be concrete so they've kept hold of this core group of players plus added the likes of Ryan Giles, Ryan Hedges, and the fullback from Hertha Berlin, whose name I'm not even going to have another go. Zifoik. Zifoik. All in all, they've come out the other side, haven't they? With a stronger position than they've entered, and I don't think many people were expecting that at the start of the window, weren't they? So... Massive applause for Blackburn. Um, Forrest's deadline day day deals include Sam Surridge from Stoke and defender Jonathan Panzo from Sporting Dijon. Uh, Sam Surridge is an interesting one, isn't he, Justin? Only moved to Stoke for £2.5 in the summer and has already left on a permanent.
1: Yeah, I think it became apparent quite quickly that he probably didn't quite fit in at Stoke in terms of the style of play and what have you, but He's perfect for, for Steve Cooper to try and mould. Obviously, Steve Cooper had him on loan for a little bit at Swansea as well, if I'm getting my seasons right. I think he was because he was recalled by Bournemouth. Um, that might have been the season before. Anyway, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a good player. I still think he's a good player. He's got plenty of time to to develop as well. He's still relatively young um, and he adds a different dimension to this, this Forest front line. And he's a bit of longevity as well. Grabbin's getting a bit older. They've got that option um, with Surridge. Um, I do like the signing. I liked it when Stoke signed him. It just didn't quite work out. And I think Forrest have got a good player as well.
0: I always thought it was a strange move from Stoke in the first place to spend a decent wedge on a fairly unproven striker at championship mm. level. I mean, the most he scored in a season is eight. And that was in League Two. So I thought it was strange in that respect. He had a decent spell at Swansea a couple of seasons ago, didn't he? But I've never been particularly convinced, even at Forrest now, You'd say he's the third-choice striker, wouldn't you? So I can Mm -hmm. only assume they see him as a long-term option, but it just seems a bit odd to me, really, Justin, for Forrest to fork out this much money on A striker who is fairly unproven, but if you've got the money to do it, then why not? Uh, Newcastle midfielder Jeff Hendrick has gone to QPR. I think that's a really good signing for a championship side, Justin.
1: Yeah, I like him. Obviously, being a Derby fan, seeing him come through, uh, it's going to sound quite absurd, but I, I, I ranked him higher than, than Will Hughes, just because Jeff Hendrick was this all-round combative midfielder. He could do everything. He could sit. He could be a box-to-box. He could score goals as well. Um, and he fitted Derby system really well. And I think he, he'll he fit this system with um, uh, under Warburton really, really well, well as well. So yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a top, top signing.
0: Yeah, he gives them something different, doesn't he? Because he works hard, uh, very combative, and can score goals as well. I think that's what QPR have needed, someone in his mould. And... I, I still think he's a Premier League player, really. So for mm-hmm. a QPR to pull off this signing, really good bit of business. Hull had a busy, busy trade. Uh, I can't say deadline day on the show today, Justin. It's really struggling to come out of my mouth. Hull had a busy deadline day, didn't they? They signed on loan Brentford striker Marcus Force, Swansea midfielder Liam Walsh, and Iranian striker Alahayi Sayant Manesh from Fenerbahce. Meanwhile, Ryan Longman's loan from Brighton has become a permanent. I think Hull have had one of the best deadline days in the championship. I won't pretend to know too much about Syed Manesh. Uh, Liam Walsh is a tidy addition as well. It's the other two who really caught my eye. Ryan Longman's been quality for the last two or three Mm -hmm. months. And I was expecting him to move to a club higher in the division. But no, he's staying permanently. And that's a really solid bit of business for them. And then Marcus Force... We're fans of Marcus Force on this podcast, aren't we, Justin? Uh, he was really good for Brentford last season in the handful of games he played. Obviously, difficult to break into the team when you've got one of the best strikers the Championship has ever seen ahead of you. But he's pacey, a great finisher. No disrespect to the guy, but he's one hell of an upgrade on Josh McGinnis. So <laughs> I really like what Hull have done. If you compare each side in the division to how they were before and after the window, I'd say Hull are in the top three for most improved definitely maybe even top
1: Um, yeah yeah, would you agree yeah no absolutely you're spot on they've they've strengthened probably haven't strengthened defensively but they've got the they've got um, better in attack uh, with the with the signings that they've made Um, and Ryan Longman they've secured for the long term as well which is which is a big plus Regan Slater came in not too long before deadline day either so yeah they've they've really done well
0: yeah, definitely. Sheffield United have signed Brentford defender Charlie Good, which I think is a good signing. Meanwhile, striker Lise Mousset has left to go to Salonitana in Italy. Stoke have loaned in Bordeaux striker Josh Madger. He was playing for Fulham in the Premier League last season ahead of Alexander Mitrovic. Um, Reading defender Liam Moore has also joined. Madger's an interesting signing, isn't he, Justin? I'm very curious to see how he does.
1: I really like Josh Madger. Um I think he's a he's a good finisher. He's a good he's a good um, sort of in between the the, the post sort of striker. Um, and as well as that, he can he can score goals out of nothing. Sunderland fans rating very highly. I'm surprised no one picked him up in the summer. Um, I think he was heavily linked with a move to Forest. That didn't, didn't didn't quite work out. But I think Stoke. I think he could be a good player for Stoke. It just depends if Stoke can get him ticking because they've struggled with the likes of Campbell Fletcher. Brown, I think quite a lot of players in Surridge as well, quite a lot of players have played up front for stoke the season and they've struggled to get much out of them. So Major, yeah, good signing. But can he can he be a success remains to be seen?
0: He's all right in the Premier League last season with Fulham Monti, playing in a struggling side. I think he scored mm-hmm. four goals, for, which for a young striker isn't too bad, really, is it? So, yeah, I'm definitely interested to see how he does. Luke Freeman has gone to Millwall on loan. That's a very Millwall signing, isn't it? A player with something to prove, but could end up being a good move. Cardiff have signed Middlesbrough striker Uchi Ipiesu. Um Scored against Barnsley, which we'll go on to a bit later in the show, but I, I did think it was quite an odd move. Cardiff have tried to move away from the route one style of play and have brought in the most route one striker in the championship so uh, make it that what you will now there was an interesting move for Derby they sold their young striker Luke Plunge to Crystal Palace reportedly for a million pounds which isn't a bad bit of business but what makes it interesting is both clubs wanted to loan him back but Derby have got a transfer embargo so they needed special permission from the EFL to loan him back and it seems like they've essentially said right the move's not going through unless you let us loan him back so you'd be denying us getting extra funds and so it was allowed to happen anyways Justin thoughts on that one?
1: Um, it's quite sad but at the same time Luke Plange arrived on a free transfer in the summer only signed a one year deal um, so to get a million pounds for him six months later is, is not a bad business obviously Derby's future is is pretty much robbed at the minute a lot of the youngsters have been sold but at the same time they need the money to, to keep themselves going so a bit of a win-win for everyone really and apparently Plange is from that area of London anyway near, near Crystal Palace so I guess he returns back home it's, it's a nice move for everybody it's a good move for everyone
0: He's been brilliant, though, for Derby recently, and he? has been, been getting per- better and better with each game. He's got a great goal against Birmingham at the weekend. Um, for them to lose him for just a million pounds, quite sad. But at the same time, considering he was only there in the summer, it's not bad for a new signing, is it? Renning have signed Tom Ince on loan from Stoke All right then. They've loaned out George Puskas to Pisa in Italy too. They'll reportedly get 5 million pounds 5 million euros I should say if Pisa get promoted which would be an astonishing bit of business if that happens. I bet Reading nearly ripped the hand off for that. Barnsley have loaned in Watford midfielder Domingos Quina which is a surprisingly good signing for them. He He played a few games for Watford when they got promoted and he was on loan at Fulham earlier in the season. Admittedly (laughs) he barely played but they must have saw something
1: in him to sign him Justin. Yeah, you spot on it. It's one that surprised me. It came after deadline day as well. It was one of those where the paperworks were still being filed, I think. But yeah, it is a good signing and he adds some much needed quality in that midfield. He is versatile as well, which is which is useful. But yeah, surprisingly good signing for a team who have been surprisingly quiet over the window. They need to needed to strengthen it. It's taken them this long to do it. It's quite a surprise. Yeah. Luton goalkeeper Simon
0: Sluga has left the club to go to Ludogorets in Bulgaria. They brought in Villa Keeper Jet Steer as a replacement. I'm quite sad about this, because Sluger was always good value for entertainment as a keeper, once he'd either have a goalkeeping masterclass or have an absolute mare. But he's had an eventful two and a half years at Kenilworth Road, Anti First few months, a disaster. Next few months, he got better. His second season, he was brilliant. And then this season wasn't a disaster, but he wasn't great either. So, it, Luton's record signing as well, worth pointing out. Luton don't hand out a million quid for nothing, so... One of them that surprisingly hasn't worked, considering Luton are quite good at the old recruitments, aren't they? Huddersfield have re-signed Dutch midfielder, Carol Eiting, on a permanent deal. I like that. He was quite Mm -hmm. good when he was there before. Goalkeeper Jamal Blackman has also moved there. Surprisingly a permanent deal. I just assumed he was still being, loaned out by Chelsea to everyone. Uh, Preston have brought in defender Bambo Diaby. I saw this and thought to myself, Bambo Diaby, I remember that name. He was the lad at Barnsley, wasn't he? Who got a doping ban for two years after taking... Genomine, but either way, an interesting move for Preston, I suppose. Birmingham have let winger Ivan Sanchez go out on loan to Real Valladolid. Peterborough have re-signed midfielder Rhys Brown on loan from Huddersfield. And finally, Sky Sports say Liverpool are confident they'll be able to sign Fulham wonderkid Fabio Carvalho in the summer. They were trying to get him in January, but the deal collapsed. Carvalho is out of contract at the end of the season. Away from transfer, new Sheffield United striker Ryan Brewster has set for a quote significant spell on the sidelines because of a hamstring injury which is a real shame isn't it Justin because he just looked like he was starting to hit form at the right time
1: yeah it's really disappointing I really do feel for him because obviously um, we had Troy and View on the other week and he was saying you know just play Bruce in his right position you get the best out of him and they started to get the best out of him and he gets injured it's it's such a kick in the teeth for him and Sheffield United Um, so hopefully he can come back firing for that last sort of that sort of quarter of the season. Um, when teams who are pushing for the top six need their need their best players. It is it is sad, but yeah, he's he's young, so you can it's a learning process, shall we say. And
0: finally, Justin, a moment of celebration for us. We've gone a whole new segment without having to talk about Derby's takeover. For the first time in what feels like literally months. I, I don't have a clue when the last time we actually didn't talk about it was. Right, that's the end of the news. After the break, we'll have a chat about some of the midweek games in the Championship and then finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Right, let's have a chat about some of the midweek games in the Championship, Justin. Just four of all for us to talk about. We'll start with a massive game at the bottom of the table. Cardiff won 1-0 away at Barnsley. There was controversy, though, because Aaron Secca scored a last-minute equaliser for the Tykes, which was ruled out for offside. Justin, what did you think of this one? It's certainly controversial,
1: isn't it? Very controversial. Um, I'd be... Very, I feel very hard done by um, if I was associated with Barnsley he was uh, Asseco who scored was was onside um, I think there was three or four players coming back from an offside position but the ball actually went to a second, no one else interfered with play he received the ball he put the ball in the back of the net he was absolutely onside I can see why the linesman may have been a bit blindsided by the players coming back from offside but it feels like guesswork rather than actual fact um, which is that a second was onside
0: I think Barnsley fans won't have much sympathy, but I think if you're a neutral and looking at this goal, then you can understand why the linesman is given it because you've got so many players who are offside. It may have even been five players who are offside, <laughs> um, but you're right. Isaka isn't offside, and I can understand why the referee, why uh, the linesman has given it. Whether it is offside or not, I, if I could play devil's advocate for a sec, could you make an argument that there is a player right next to Isaka who is offside, and if the ball's played to him? or played in his direction would that be offside because in a normal period of play if the ball's played over to that direction and the player is offside then would wouldn't that be offside
1: that's that's the old rule isn't it it's all about interfering with play now um and obviously if that player who is next to a soccer is offside and if he touches the ball then absolutely he's he's interfering with play but He's not impeding any card. If if you block if you blocks a cardiff defender, for example, for for in terms of getting across to a second, then he's offside because he's interfered with play. But at that point in time, um, and that specific scenario, he's not interfered with a second. He's not interfered with a cardiff defend, defender. He's 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 offside, but he's not interfering. Essentially, is is what I'm trying to say. And it's it's a goal that should stand. Mm.
0: It's definitely a tricky one for the linesman, whatever the case, isn't it? Uchik Piezu got a brilliantly taken goal on his debut since signing on deadline day. The the fact that he's had to fight off two Barnsley defenders (laughs) to get to uh, the six-yard box was really well played from him. Um, Something that Middlesbrough fans will be very interested to see because he didn't play particularly well there, did he? (laughs) Can't believe I'm saying this, but Barnsley actually played quite well again, didn't they? In fact, Justin, this was the first match they won on expected goals since October Calm down Barnsley, you'll get a nosebleed (laughs) at this rate. The problem is Justin, if you're Barnsley and you're not getting something from games like this when you're playing one of the teams who was in a relegation battle prior to this game, whether they are now is up for debate. But if you're not beating one of those teams at home, then nothing's going to change, is it?
1: Yeah, you've you've got a. It, I think it come down. It may have come down to confidence as well in this game. You look at one of the first chances um, that popped up was was, uh, was for Josh Benson, where the ball was crossed to him and he was sort of quite quite central in the eighteen yard box and he fired it straight at Smithers in goal. If you've got a team who's in confidence, you know that gets that gets put in the corner of the net, that gets put through the goalkeeper. You know, he puts it he well is it into the goal. Um and the chances that they had just seemed like a team that was that was that is low on confidence. Um it's as it's as easy as that. If they had any sort of semblance of um of positivity at the minute in, in their own approach play, then they I think they would have come out with a win against um Because as I say they, they created the better chances, created the most chances, created the better chances. They just didn't have enough to, to, to see them over. And that, I think that just comes down to where they are at the moment mentally, just not, not quite there.
0: Meanwhile, Cardiff getting two wins on the bounce has seen them make a nine-point gap between them and the relegation zone, which, I mean, it's only two wins, Justin, but that could be massive in the grand scheme of things, couldn't it? It's hard to see the teams down there who are struggling so much for points. It's hard to see them making that up, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, this Cardiff team can can easily go on a bad run of form again. Um, so it's it's a case of don't don't count your chickens just yet. It is really important that Cardiff sort of remain grounded because you look at the the, the chances that Barsley had in this game, and as I say, a team of confidence probably puts them away. You come across, uh, you come up against a team that's something like Preston or anyone like that who who have got the quality to to put their chances away. They, they probably do it. So. It's not not a case of getting carried away. It's it's positive. It's two clean sheets as well. It's really, really important that Cardiff, you know, are defensively stable because they were leaking at an alarming rate as well. So back to back clean sheets, back to back good performances, back-to-back wins, massive plus. Strikers are scoring as well, which is again is is really, really important.
0: Huddersfield are now unbeaten in ten games after beating Derby 2-0. The game was ruined by Derby having Richard (laughs) Stewan sent off after three minutes. As a referee, you've got to be certain that it's a red card to send someone off that early in the game. I don't think you can be one hundred percent certain that's a red.
1: I disagree. I, as soon as I saw Stim and leave the ground, I was like, oh, "Crap!" Um, I, has I he thought, really
0: left the ground that much? I, know I, I he's, think he, yes. he's dived in. He's dived in. I can, I will give you that. But he has got the ball, and his studs are up, but he hasn't gone over the ball. And I don't see him endangering the Huddersfield player there. So I think it's very harsh to send off a player that early in the game.
1: It probably is, but for the rule of law, I think it is a red. I don't think it matters what minute it is, what what minute the game's in. I think it's a heavy tackle. I think his studs are showing. And I think because he's gone through the ball, he has got the ball. He's got the ball. He's got to the ball way before O'Brien. But because he's gone through the ball with his studs showing and therefore gone through the player... I think that you know he's a dangerous player. I've been very good this uh, today on on rules. I've been, I've been on it. I've not read the rule book before, by the way. Um, but yeah, for me, I think because it's a heavy tackle, he goes through the player as well. I think he's a dangerous player, and I do think it's a red. My instinct at the time was shit. That's a red card. Good luck, Derby. Um, and I was at the game. I've not seen it back either. So my inst- my first instinct was it's a red card. I'm not 100% sure, I've got to say. Anyway, Derby
0: battled well, didn't they? And just as it looked like they may get something from this game, former midfielder Dwayne Holmes has a crack from 30 yards out, takes a massive deflection, loops over Ryan Alsop's head. And for you, Justin, being in the away end of this game, I imagine it must have been rather heartbreaking for
1: you. It, It wasn't really. I think you've got to be buoyed by Derby's performance, because going down to 10 men in the third minute my initial again initial thoughts are we're going to get absolutely battered here. Possession wise, we were, but Huddersfield didn't create too much in the game. Allsop was quite quiet. I think he gathered a low shot up until the goals. Anyway, um, so I think it was a good performance from from Derby, and that goal going in, it's a sucker punch. But you're buoyed by the positive performance that they put out, and then you hope that you can get something out of it. You know, a goal sometimes opens the game up unfortunately it didn't because be gave a ball away gave the ball away for the for the second goal and it, it killed the game unfortunately but yeah it's a sucker punch and it's just a case of when your luck's not with you um, it's not with you and it it wasn't with derby because again the tackle could have been avoided because the ball was given away by Thompson in midfield because um, he was taking too long on the ball so it was just it just wasn't to be for derby um that's it
0: Jordan Rhodes got on the score sheet as well for Huddersfield, which brought me a lot of joy. His first goal back in (laughs) the Huddersfield shirt since re-signing for them. Whenever I see him on the score sheet, it just makes me really happy to see a smile on his face. Uh, Huddersfield back in the playoffs again now, albeit having played more games than everyone else. They're not letting up in the race for the top six, they? As I say, 10 games unbeaten now, giving it a right-old good go. Luton are up to ninth after a 1-0 win away at Swansea. Harry Cornett got the goal with a nice, tidy finish. Swansea, the better side, creating two or three good chances, but couldn't put the ball away. Which is becoming a bit of an issue for them, isn't it? Three games without a goal now, Justin.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's the lacking quality in front of goal, but also the lacking, you know, con- consistent creativity as well. Um, I think they're a, they're a side who are clearly missing Jamie Patterson. I think it's something that I'll, I'll bang the drum about um, until until he's back into the, into the starting eleven. Because even Joel Pirro is not getting chances. No other family has started, but at the same time. There's just not a lot of supply. Um, I think Keith Laird offered a lot for 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 Swansea as well going forwards, and they're clearly missing him. It feels like a completely different team to the one we saw in the first half of the season, which is a which is a massive shame. But I think they can be buoyed by Hans Wolf looking quite sharp. He looked confident with the ball, completed um four dribbles, I think, in the game, which for a player who is apparently badly out of form, according to some Cardiff fans who who mentioned it to me. Um He he looked very, very good. Um, That's one positive you can take from it. But as I say, it's it's another defeat, unfortunately, in another game without a win. So, yeah, don't know what's... It's just not quite clicking for Swansea at the minute. I think it will do at some point, but there's there's a long way to go.
0: There was a ball played by Matt Grimes in this game for Michael Obafemi, which was incredible. He's played it along the ground through three or four players. It was just astonishing, but Obafemi... Couldn't get a good connection from it and James Shea saved it in the Luton goal. And that about summed up Swansea's days. So, Swansea frustrated, but Luton good win for them. And finally, Millwall nil, Preston nil. Good grief, this was a difficult game to watch. Uh, Paul Merson was watching it on Soccer Soccer Saturday, or whatever the Tuesday equivalent is, and said it was so boring that he was going to come out of retirement, which is um, saying something. There was a missed penalty in this game, which was the only moment of excitement from Ben Whiteman uh, for Preston. Uh, He hit the post, I believe. Um, I guess one way of looking at it is both teams defended well here. Certainly wasn't one for the ages, though, it's got to be said. Right, now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Thank you, Mr. Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, I'm giving Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is guess who it is. The score for the season is 10 6 to myself. I'm starting to run away with it because Justin's in a rotten run of form while I just keep getting them right. I actually want you to get this one uh, right, Justin, because firstly, it keeps it somewhat interesting for the podcast. Secondly, I don't want myself to get complacent, you know, because imagine if I end up 10 points ahead towards the end of the season. I've got a brand to protect here. I can't be getting David Nugent incorrect, can I? So please get it right. I'm begging you. Um, Your first clue is this, Justin. I've made 219 championship appearances, scoring 14
1: goals. Can we establish when his appearances were made after last week's controversy? I've been doing championship like
0: Coca-Cola Skybet Championship ever since yeah. we started doing
1: this. You've been cheating. You've been fixing games. Um right, okay. so 14 goals, 219 games. That is possibly a low scoring midfielder. Jonathan Hogg.
0: It's not Jonathan Hogg. I made my professional debut in two thousand and three.
1: For hearts. For hearts. Um trying to think of this couple of players that may have filtered down for Hearts 2003. I'm going to go with. can't think of anyone. Um, Stephen. No, not Stephen was a Bad shout. I don't know. Next clue. Okay. I played for just two clubs at
0: Championship level, mostly for Ipswich Town, but I also won Player of the Year in
1: 2014. Quite an unremarkable time for Ipswich. <laughs> you could say that again.
0: Did you get to the playoffs that season?
1: Yeah semi well I think was it might season have missed before. out mm, it was 2014 though. so that's 2013-14 season for for um, for them I'm trying to think of midfielders I can only think of Cole Skews and it's not. It's definitely not him next <laughs> club yes the other
0: club I played for I made more appearances for in the Premier League than I did at Championship level
1: should mm. know this mm. And again, annoyingly, Tyrone Mings is coming to my head because he made more appearances. He played for Ipswich at that time, made more appearances um, in the Premier League than he did the Championship. Um, and is renowned for starting his
0: career at Hearts. Yes, in
1: 2003, when he must have been a child. Um, Next uh, club. Yeah, um, no, no. It's, it's the timelines because that Premier League club, that Premier League stint you would have been before his Ipswich stint. Here, Justin. Yeah, I'll buy myself time. Get over it. Um, Next club. I'm going to. Just I nearly guessed someone then and you just took it out of my mouth. You are You are so much time. Here. You are right. so aggressive. Three seconds. Next fine, next clue. You've you've ruined it.
0: This is your second last one. I have forty one caps for Scotland playing for them over
1: a nine year period.
0: Again, forty, really remarkable time caps. for Scotland. Forty one caps. There's a lot of caps though.
1: Yeah, it is a lot of caps, but again a fairly unremarkable time for, for Scottish uh, international football as well where they didn't do anything um, it's been a very unremarkable <laughs> time a very long unremarkable time <laughs> good job we're not an SPL podcast um, they're not listening Oth- O3 Hearts he played for Ipswich in 2014 and won their player of the year Christoph Berra
0: it is Christoph Berra yeah well, you, you said uh, that you said that and I, it sounded like it was a throwaway guess
1: no, I, I was angry. I was pissed off at myself Right, I was okay. thinking of midfielders. I was just thinking of midfielders.
0: I don't know why you were focusing so much on midfielders. <laughs>
1: because 14 goals is quite a lot for a defender, I think. But then Christoph Barris scored a lot of goals at, from uh, centre-half, didn't he? Well, the other club he played for was Wolves, but
0: didn't score a single goal for Wolves. Yeah but I think he had I think he was Ipswich's second top scorer in one season. Yeah. Um and then just chipped him with a few more goals in other seasons. The final clue was I'm now 37 and still playing for Wraith Rovers. Yeah, he was he
1: went back to Hearts as well. Yeah. He went full circle. That's a good player, wasn't he? Does. He was a good player. I think he was quite underrated. He also a good clue would have been he doesn't have his front teeth. Oh really? Yeah, he's got false teeth.
0: I never knew that. I was trying to find something interesting about his career, but I couldn't find much, unfortunately. Um, I've just always liked his name. It's quite an enjoyable name to say. In a Scottish accent as well. Christoph Birra. Christoph Birra. Was it Russian? I was, <laughs> yeah, was going to say. <laughs> there we go, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Second Tier Podcast wrapped up for you here again. Um, just a quick word, if you wouldn't mind doing the honourable thing and leaving us a review or a rating on whichever platform you're listening to us on that goes a long long way for us to getting new listeners and we will appreciate it massively so if you could just take five seconds of your day to do that We'll uh, be very, very grateful. Um, we'll be next back on Sunday. We've only got four championship games coming up this weekend. So maybe we'll do something else, Justin, as well as talk about the games. I'm not too sure. We'll have a think about it in the next couple of days. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful weekend. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilkes. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.